again, everybody, and welcome to the Retro Monster Truck Review. A uh, little bit of a sad tone this week going into this episode is uh, last Thursday we lost one of the greats that this sport has really ever seen, and that, of course, is Scott Hartsock, driver of Gunslinger or Slinger these days in Monster Jam competition, as well as just about any independent race that he could get to. Scott was just one of those guys that you would see out there all the time, and he always had a smile on his face that could light up a room just by walking into it. Lost in the accident as well was a man by the name of James Creel. James was a Baptist by faith and a member of the uh, Euphorus Baptist Church in Forest. He was an avid outdoorsman. He loved to hunt fish and cut grass. He loved spending time with his girls and his grandchildren. At the time of at the uh, untimely time of his death, he was working for Simmons Wrecker Service. Uh, what else could be said, though, about Scott Hartsock, a man that had done virtually everything in the monster truck industry, we all know his accomplishments in the sport, but I'd like to take a second right here and just talk about the man. Uh, in the days after this accident that's happened, we've seen an outpouring of support from family, friends, fans, and his fierce competitors out there on the track. This shows you the kind of man that Scott Hartsock was. Um, like I said, he could light up a room the second he walked in there with a smile. Whenever he talked, everybody listened. If you needed some help, there was Scott Hartsock. The loss of Scott has put a hole in this industry that will forever be there. However, we as fans and as people involved in the industry or anything, we can fill that hole with all the good memories that Scott has left us over the years. And joining me this week on the show, uh, of course, is Matt Stoltz. And Matt, uh, kind of a kind of a black hole in the industry last Thursday, but hopefully we can bring a little bit of light. It's a somber mood for sure, and uh, you know I had a chance to meet Scott a number of times as a fan, you know, and behind the scenes a little bit at some shows. Always gracious, always you know very witty, and uh, a great guy from the experiences I've had with him as well. Uh, I couldn't state it any better than you did there. Uh, a true professional, and uh, we're gonna kind of celebrate his life today with one of his marquee performances. That's right. We're definitely going to do that. In light of this tragedy, though, I do want to touch on one more thing, and uh, that was his children. <laughs> the, the video I saw, and this uh, brings a tear to my eyes even just talking about it, is Michael and Caitlin bringing the truck back home, pulling it out to wash it, and the first thing they hear on the radio is Scott's song, Blaze of Glory by Bon Jovi. Um, I got to tell you, that's if that's not a sign, I don't know really what is. I think that Gunslinger is in incredibly good hands going forward. Well, the pearly gates are certainly cocked, locked, and ready to rock from now on, right? Yep, you're damn right. This week's show, we're going to cover probably the the episode of uh, Motor Madness that really, as far as I'm concerned, put Scott Hartsock and Gunslinger on the map, and that is Orlando in 2000. Uh, this track is one of the most treacherous ones that we saw in the early 2000s for Monster Jam. The ramps were insane, and it was just a J track. I mean, it, it's one of those events where guys were getting probably too much air for this period of time. Yeah, it's one of the first big outdoor shows of this season. We're talking February 26th of the year 2000. We're in the, at the time it was called the Florida Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Uh, this arena and stadium, I didn't know it had been around this long. It was built in 1936 as a public works project during the Great Depression. And they've been holding events and games and you know various functions there ever since. And uh, this is a busy weekend for the U.S. Hot Rod Association. We've got this show here in Orlando. That's the TV event for Motor Madness. But we've also got shows in Beaumont, 
Lafayette, Louisiana, Worcester, East Lansing, Michigan, El Paso, Texas, Minneapolis, all of the bookings are full this weekend for U.S. Hot Rod for sure. And this is the marquee event of the weekend, though, in Orlando. And as Scott Douglas called it, the I Love Florida Tour is getting started here at the end of February. Oh, yeah. And we go to the uh, intro here. We're, we're told we've got 12 trucks in the field. But basically, the way they make it sound on this broadcast, it's 11 versus 1. For those that are looking to get a checkered flag off the back of Tom Menson Goldberg, who at this point in 2000, had only had one racing loss in New Orleans going into this event. And that was that loss was basically due to like a five-cent part, if I remember correctly. He was going down a straightaway, and the truck just kind of cut off and went to the left. It's the only time Mintz had lost. He got the flag back the week before in Anaheim, and now going from Anaheim all the way to Florida with a checkered flag on the back of that Goldberg truck, and he's looking to defend as they go into the Citrus Bowl. Yeah, you know, the only straight-up, you know, he hasn't had a straight-up loss on television yet this year. Uh, the only loss he's had on television is there in New Orleans a couple weeks prior. And that was about a, a month before this event happened. Like you said, cheap part caused uh, something to go wrong and ends up losing there. Now, he had lost some other events in the season that were untelevised, but, you know, they don't count those on the TV shows. Uh, Oklahoma City, he he didn't win racing at all on February 11th and 12th. And then uh, he lost the Friday night finals in Peoria the following weekend to Mark Hall and the Executioner. I uh, found out doing some digging today through some old results. So definitely not completely undefeated on the year for Tom, but when the TV cameras are on and, and everything's on the line, uh, Tom's definitely been performing above and beyond everybody else out there in the field. Four out of five wins so far on the TV tour for Tom Metz. Yeah, and that's put him far and above in a points lead as far as the USHRA goes. Dan Moriarty starts us off. He says he's got a few questions for everybody. The first question is, of course, can anybody beat Tom Minson Goldberg? He's killing it in the points, but then he kind of finishes it by saying, can someone just beat him out for one race, please? I'm like, it just makes Tom seem like a villain right off the bat with the way that Dan speaks right there. It's not something I really like. I, I mean, he should be a pit reporter. He should remain unbiased as far as I'm concerned whenever he asks those type of questions. Well, Tom kind of is the villain at this point. You know, he's kind of the new guy that's rose to the top of the mountain up there to that top level. And he's soaking it in every time he gets that interview. He loves poking, you know, the bear every opportunity he gets, basically saying I'm the best and uh, putting the arm out the window. I remember, you know, I was 10 years old during this season and I hated Tom Menson Goldberg. So oh God, much. me, me too. But mainly because of the way they talked about him on TV. Sometimes I loved him in Monster Patrol, and then when he got hooked up with the Goldberg thing, I just, I hated him so much because he went out there and you know crapped all over Gravedigger and everybody else. It was I was rooting for anybody to go up there and beat Tom as well. So I'm interested to see uh, you know other people's opinions on that. Again, I was just a kid, uh, kind of you know playing along with the TV every week there at that point. But uh, probably hated him even more than Snakebite when I was even younger because, you know, he used to sabotage Bigfoot here and there, uh, according to some of the old home movies. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Bigfoot, excuse me, Bigfoot versus Snakebite, you had your big rivalry there that was kind of manufactured a little bit. And then I'm going to say maybe this rivalry was a little bit manufactured, too, for TV. You know, Tom always certainly a, a great guy behind the scenes and, you know, a, a leader. Uh, in terms of the industry, but uh, they played it up a little bit more for the TV, I think. Oh, yeah, they definitely did. I mean, they pretty well had to at this point. Uh, they had to have some sort of rivalry to put on TV. Question number two, though, was, of course, Gravedigger. Last week, number seven was dialed in in Anaheim. It was being driven by Lyle Hancock. This week, it's driven by Charlie Pawkin. More importantly, Dennis Anderson. 
How's the back doing after that horrible accident in New Orleans? He doesn't really specify right here uh, the accident that happens. And, of course, the accident was actually during the 1999 season that Dennis had a very awkward hit in the New Orleans Superdome event. The rear tires caught the backside of the sand rail pit. They had a, a concrete barrier basically there in the middle of the sand drag pit. Dennis catches it, and, of course, Dennis always had those open differentials. One tire hits it a little more than the other. The truck launches in the air. There's a real weird pirouette comes down straight onto the nose of digger number 12 there. And that did, that hurt Dennis for quite some time. And then during this season in 2000, he re-injures his back driving number seven at one point. And Lyle Hancock steps in for Anaheim. This week, we've got Charlie Pawkin behind the wheel. Two drivers that have really driven their way into the history books. For sure. And, you know, that injury with Dennis was lingering for quite some time, as you said, the year prior in New Orleans. And then that summer he had gotten back into Grave Digger number 12 and kind of jarred his back again at an air show doing a, a exhibition car crush there. Fast forward to the 2000 season. I think this is what Dan's actually referring to is Dennis did take a nasty hit in New Orleans in 2000 at the pri the last event that Dennis raced at. He goes out first round, takes an absolute moonshot after the final set of cars, lands, lands really bars, hard on the right side, bottom the shocks out. And, and Dennis said his back was hurting from there, too. And that's pretty much what puts him out until the world finals. So, you know, Dennis's back is really not doing good at this point. He's sitting out. seems like everybody's jumping in, trying to fill and they're moving drivers around in the fleet. You know, they've got all the digger trucks going. And again, I was digging through some old results this morning and I was able to find, you know, Charlie Pawkin hopping into seven. Well, who's taking over grave digger number eight then? Cause that's what Charlie was driving this season. This is the first weekend for Rod Schmidt in a grave digger truck in, uh, I think it was in Wooster. And he was able to go in, fill in the number eight truck. And I'm not sure how they shuffled him around in the surrounding weeks because we had another couple weeks off mm -hmm. of television in between there and a few of the other events. But uh, Pablo comes in with Digger 10, fills in some events here toward the end of the season as well. But, you know, it's it's still a full month after that hit in New Orleans for Dennis, and he's still hurting. So hopefully getting a little bit of R&R back in Kill Devil Hills or in Poplar Branch, I guess the shop is at this point. That's one of the main storylines here. And I'm going to put dialed in for Digger 7 in really big air quotes because yeah, even at Anaheim, <laughs> the truck the truck wasn't really doing that well. It's still not set up great for racing. It's real squirrely. Went out and did an okay freestyle, tore the front housing up pretty bit, you know, that Lyle did. But uh, at least he performed okay you know, on a normal night, it would be considered probably a, a falling flat performance. But compared to the 2000 season, they're calling it a big success. And then we close out this little segment from Dan here by saying something more close to home in the state of Florida. Jim Jack and Reptoid and Scott Hartsock and the Gunslinger looking for home state bragging rights here. These guys kind of, they. this was another one I want to say too that might have been a little bit of a manufactured rivalry for TV was between these two. Every time we'd have a Florida show and these two trucks were booked there, it was always who's going to have the bragging rights coming out of that particular event. Uh, he's going to get be the hometown hero, you know. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to perform well in front of their hometown crowd the florida guys again the tv production here this is one of the first series that we really have on television that's actually produced by a production company with remote facilities on site they're able to do the interviews with the drivers ahead of time in the production truck which is always really cool i thought that was a great thing that motor madness did 
each week is getting these little vignettes and other, you know, B-roll sections to fill in the show. And I think it's a cool little thing that, you know, they were able to do instead of just sticking to the racing and it's kind of dry and, you know, not really showing any of the other storylines. I kind of like that they're pumping up this stuff. Yeah, I like it, too. I think it's more redefined in the 2000 season than it was the season before. It seems like they were just throwing them in there to throw them in there. And here it actually they have a, a place for a lot of these segments and it fits very well into this episode. Dan actually pitches to Mike Hogwood and Scott Douglas right here is the guys that know everything. As we get the jam-packed crowd here, and my man, the cameras do not lie. This place is packed for this uh, 2000 event here in Orlando. There is, I, I want to say standing room only. This is a completely sold-out crowd. It seems like all those Florida shows were really always well attended. You know, the traffic jams going into Tampa for so many years were legendary. Orlando's not a huge venue. I don't have a, a bearing on what the capacity was of the stadium at that time. I'm going to guess probably in the 45 to 50,000 range, maybe. So nothing like, you know, Tampa Stadium or, or any of the other huge venues out there that would also sell out. But I mean, the place is pretty full for sure. They've got, I think, two sections up in the left corner that are kind of killed off for, I guess, you know, for the promoter. They had some people sitting up there. I guess that was probably the you know, competitor seating area, but the whole rest of that stadium is full to the gills and they're making a lot of noise here in Orlando. Yeah. And you can hear it over the, over the uh, trucks at some points during this broadcast here, field of trucks. We go into it eradicator with Andy Slifka, probably the best that this truck ever looked, by the way, I always love this original looking eradicator from Andy predator with Alan Pizzo prowler with Dave Pizzo thrasher with Pat Suma wild thing with Tony Farrell, the Nitro Machine with Cliff Thomas behind the wheel. The NWO. We'll get more into that in a little bit here. Uh, the driver is uncredited, but it is Rob Nell. Sting and Sky Hartley. And then we kind of stop right here and we cut to a segment where Dan basically tells us about the track. And uh, we get a little, little intro here from Dan talking about how he's going to interview some drivers. Uh, we go into a really cool isolation shot of Gunslinger rounding the corner, and then Mike McFarlane pops up, your competition director, standing in the middle of the turn telling this is where it's all going to happen. It's the most important part of the track. The U-turn portion or power slide area <laughs> is the way that he refers it here. And uh, Sky Hartley chimes in. He says, this is a driver's track. Some might drive over their heads. I think I'm just going to run my own race and see what happens. Alan Pizzo says, you want to get into the corner fast. The dirt is real tacky, so you, you don't want to go in too fast. You might end up on your lid. And Scott Hartsock, hey, it's a driver's course out there in that corner. May the best man win. The only thing that we really need to do, though, is think about safety first. And that is a statement that is going to ring true a little bit later on in this bracket as we go on into the full-on field of favorites. And I love the full-on field of favorites. It kind of sets that storyline again beyond what they've already covered. They're going to say, you know, hey, here are the guys that are the ones to watch that we think before the event starts here. And they're running on the full-on field of favorites with, we got four trucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Reptoid and Jim Jack. Excellent clip of Jim Jack driving through a Gravedigger banner, by the way. I love that, that uh, it's from round one. It's really the only time we get to see Reptoid on the night, but it's the, of course, it's the clip where Jack jumps off of the double, lands, and just completely obliterates a Gravedigger.com banner in, in the middle of the floor. It looks like the truck was eating the banner. I absolutely loved it. Of course, Scott Hartsock and Gunslinger, the two Florida boys, got to have them in the full on field of favorites. And we get Scott Hartsock saying, well, we, or excuse me, we get Mike. Mike Hogwood saying, 
We've seen him do several of these motor, or excuse me, these monster madness shows. It's nice of Mike to actually forget which show he's covering right here as he's talking about Scott. But of course, he does remind us that Gunslinger is cocked, locked, and ready to rock. Gravedigger and Charlie Pawkin, Scott Douglas basically says, hey, when we come flying into these shows this year, it's generally about will Gravedigger get it together? This is the third different driver in three different weeks on Motor Madness for Digger. They're really trying to keep this number seven truck alive. And, of course, the last one here, Matt, is the guy that's just dominated the tour. Like you said, four out of five TV wins for Tom Mintz and Goldberg. He's the favorite for sure. And, you know, these four trucks, you know, you, you may get somebody else breakthrough that we don't know about. But, you know, coming in, if you have to play the odd sheet, these are the guys that are going to be the story in terms of the pre-show atmosphere. Our bracket is shown up here onto the screen and get a good look here, guys, because this is the only time that you're going to see this bracket in order. <laughs> Goldberg and Wild Thing, Nitro and Reptoid, Sting and Eradicator, Thrasher and Gunslinger, NWO and Predator and Prowler are going to take on Gravedigger. No qualifying here. This is a complete random draw of events. Uh, something I never really did care for, but I get, for show flow, it's got to be something that they really liked. Oh, for sure. And these were jam-packed shows with other features as well. We had tough trucks. We had freestyle motocross. Uh, you know, we had the full freestyle show this year for the first time in 2000, where all the trucks are going out for freestyle competitions. So, they, you know, they don't have the qualifying at this point because they're I think they're not really sure how long these shows are going to go. And that first year, they even ran two trucks together for freestyle. And, you know, the crowd had to kind of keep an eye on both of them, which I'm sure was a challenge for the judges. So mm -hmm. they're in a, in a bit of flux here with the show flow, trying to kind of evolve the product and not having qualifying. It is what it is. USHRA bopped back and forth between qualifying and no qualifying a lot in various years, sometimes with show to show, depending on what it was on TV. So, you know, th this works out OK. We've got a full field of 12 trucks here, and I'm guessing that's one of the reasons why they didn't do the qualifying. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Storylines, though, are the flag is back on Goldberg after an Anaheim win. Of course, Gravedigger still improving. They mentioned Lyle Hancock getting bigger seven through Anaheim and looking very good in doing it. Florida rivalry, Reptoid and Gunslinger. This, is, this might be the first time I remember hearing about this rivalry was this particular show right here. Uh, we move on from storylines into uh, the What's That All About segment, featuring a segment about the RAI, which is the Remote Ignition Interrupter. Matt, the RII is probably one of the biggest safety innovations in monster truck racing, is it not? It certainly is. The remote ignition interrupter being able to kill the engine and all power in case a driver were to become incapacitated. And Mike McFarlane kind of explains the function of the system and then the things that the fans can see from the stands, the red and the yellow lights signifying which lane the truck is in and what channel the truck is on for that remote ignition interrupter. It's something that Unfortunately, it seems to have fallen by the wayside. I remember when I was younger, the announcers would cover this at almost every show I went to, no matter what promoter it was. Nowadays, they don't really explain this to the fans, and I find it unfortunate that they don't you know, really explain how this stuff works and why the trucks shut off before they go and race because it's a very important thing that puts a lot of people at ease, I'm sure, knowing that these safety factor is in place and i like the tv coverage of it as well because a lot of the fans that were kind of just watching as a casual person 
probably didn't know about this stuff. And sometimes they'd sneak some rare footage into these segments as well, which is always a little bonus. But the what's that all about segments I always thought were really cool and an interesting part of the TV production. Yeah, I always like them, too. And like you said, I especially loved it when they would talk about the RII because let's face it. A lot of people that go to Monster Truck shows aren't going to go to each show each weekend. Nowadays, there are multiple shows each weekend in each different venue that we go to. There are different people showing up in every single one of those events. I feel that they could, at least during maybe the end of the pit party or something like that, squeeze in a segment about the RII, and you might educate somebody that really doesn't know all that much about Monster Trucks. This could be their first show that they're going to. They're bringing their kid who just happened to watch it on TV maybe a week before. It's something that uh, they really should cover. And really, and honestly, it'll make people feel safe while they're there as well. They know that these big trucks can be shut off with just the push of a button. Makes it feel safe. And, you know, inquiring minds like to know sometimes. Mm-hmm. I always exactly. like to understand how things work. And those little segments, there's a lot of time to fill if you're an announcer. So it's a segment that I always felt was worthwhile. Our track tonight is going to be a J-hook. You're going to start over a smaller hill that leads into a double. Then you're going to have a complete 180-degree turn, go down another straightaway with a very small little, almost like a kicker little hill, right after the corner, and then jump over five cars at the finish line. It's a very tight track with jumps on the outside portion as well. The narrow monster truck lane is something that we're going to talk about a lot tonight as we go into round number one competition here. The track is beautiful. I love these styles of tracks that they were doing back here in the TNN days. Lanes going all over the place because we had so many different forms of competition. They had quad wars, I think, too, at this event. So you've got quad jumps. Some of them are being used by the pro stadium trucks. We've got freestyle motocross ramps out there. It's like you took the entire field and divided it you know 10 ways across and each of those little lanes has something going on in it the presentation is beautiful the cars are painted up nice i love the banners i love the a-frames it just looks like a professional racing environment and you know monster jam does a great job with what they do now but i sure do miss all the decoration out there on the track nowadays yeah i do too plus make some pretty good shrapnel and freestyle The more stuff you can smash, the happier the fans are for sure. And, you know, exactly. a couple two by fours, then those A-frames, I don't know how much damage they caused to the trucks over the years, but uh, I can't imagine it was that much. They're just made out of softwood. But the, the track design, I think, is pretty cool. Pretty standard for the time in terms of the verbal description, you know, a, a three-jump U-turn with a little roller thrown in there. But we're going to see that this track is definitely not the same as all the others. We got Sting and Eradicator going to lead us off here. Sting is introduced from Atlanta, Georgia, which I found kind of funny because Sting has always been introduced from Venice Beach, California. But we get a good question here for our viewers is which version of Sting do you like better? The 53 Corvette that you see here in TNM Motor Madness? Or do you prefer the uh, the Penda days with the Stinger truck from Team Bigfoot? I'm a sucker for the Penda Stinger. But this 53 Corvette, this purple body just really shines and looks really good out there. Don't forget that one in between, too. The last Bigfoot Sting truck that was kind of the darker image of Sting as well. They ran it on the uh, the full Stinger body. So we've got a bunch of different options here. I kind of like the Corvette. I always thought it was cool. My grandpa's a Corvette guy. So I would probably have to put that as my favorite just because it's still a real vehicle body. And mm-hmm. uh, we'll get in a little bit more into the chassis uh, a little bit probably later in the podcast here. But I-, I like the Sting truck as we sit here. That's probably my favorite of the three setups. 
One thing to notice, too, about this Sting truck, I'm just going to bring it up here off the top of my head, is the fact that, yes, it was a company truck, but most of the company trucks had the Goodyear tire, the rounded Goodyear tire. This truck seemed to have wide, almost flat-looking Firestone tires its entire existence. And I don't know if that ever really helped Sting get around the track. Honestly, in, in this particular event, I think it might have hurt Hartley just a little bit behind the wheel. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if they're Firestones. I think there was some other brand. I can't remember if they were like a. There was a tire called a Heenan tire, and I, mm-hmm. I apologize to the listeners out there. I don't know much about some of these other brands of tires, but it wasn't a Bobby like, Heenan tire, was it? They, it was not a Bobby Heenan <laughs> tire. No, it was. Um, they kind of had a stripe down the center of them. Some of the tires, and but they had a very flat profile. Uh, they may have got these tires used. I don't know, and. You know, I may as well just jump into it now. The Sting truck, this is its debut race. The first time Mm -hmm. the truck ever goes down a race course. Now, the weekend prior, the truck debuted in Uniondale at the Nassau Coliseum, ran one freestyle Saturday night as a surprise. That's where the truck comes out the first time. And I know Chris Moorman is a big fan of that show. Uh, I'm not sure if he was at it or if that's just where the truck debuted, but it's his hometown. And uh, this is the first time we get to see it actually race. So... We're saying, well, that's the first time the truck's brand new, but it's like middle of the season. Well, Dan Patrick had to build four trucks for this first quarter. The first two were done early, Medusa and Wrenchhead.com. They were ready mm-hmm. to go normal pickup truck turnkey vehicles from Patrick. And the other two were Sting and another car-bodied truck, which would turn out to be Spider-Man, but that wouldn't debut later on. It was originally supposed to be Breath the Hitman Heart, so these two other chassis, turnkey trucks, kind of got done a little bit behind schedule. Dan had said you know, he was really under the gun from SFX to get these chassis done. They threw a lot of work at them at one time, and they had to kind of manage things accordingly, so that's why we don't see Sting in these earlier shows. This is the debut, and it's a brand new truck with a cage that's not very common at this point. You know, Dan kind of created them just for this use, uh, and he had to make it so drivers could go in and out of it, so it's an interesting solution. If you listen to Dan Patrick's podcast uh, when he was talking to Scott Douglas, it's a really interesting story of how these trucks came to be. Yeah, and he's not the only one that had really a lot of trouble that season as well, trying to get stuff together. If you remember correctly, Tom Mintz actually starts out in Bulldozer. And then when we get to Atlanta, he's in Goldberg. There's a lot of stories coming from Tom himself talking about how how much under the gun they were to try to get that Goldberg truck finished before that Atlanta show. They wanted to debut it in Atlanta, mainly because that is Goldberg's hometown. That's where he played football. And I got to tell you, he had to spend a lot of time just trying to get that truck figured out. And that truck, I mean, my goodness, that roll cage to go onto that truck with that particular style chassis, they had to do a lot of work just to make sure that that was even going to fit before they got to Atlanta. For sure. They were definitely under the gun. And that's the first event of the calendar year there in Atlanta. So, you know, we want to make the big debut there. And then prior to that, he's still running the bulldozer colors on the old Taurus chassis. But that design i think was pretty much done by hot wheels the concept itself Mm -hmm. for the toy line and then tom has mentioned you know their fiberglass guy kind of had to take that concept and mold it into reality and that's why the real truck kind of looked a little bit different from the toy for so long because they didn't have a lot of time to get that concept actually created in real life i mean i think the truck looks better in real life than it did in the toy personally but 
well, that's, that's a whole other discussion right there. <laughs> we could we could get some collecting people in here that would really go into that detail quite a bit. Phil, if you're listening, I'm talking to you. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I never did like the Hot Wheels version of it. I always loved the actual futuristic SUV is what they call it. And that body style has stuck around for 21 years. Just a little different now with spikes on it. Yeah, I mean, it's still a good look. I always thought the truck looked cool. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad that we have the accurate die cast now that we have, because I always was curious as to why it was different when I was little with the hooks out the front. And, you know, it's kind of more lower slung on the toy version. But the, the real truck that Tom's driving here, you know, is on fire. They built a good piece for the year 2000. That they did. Uh, kind of a little sidetrack there talking about Goldberg, but of course Sting and Eradicator are up right now. Uh, we're told Sting has the horsepower advantage and they take off the line. That is definitely the case here. Slifco, I mean, at this point in Eradicator's life, it's more of a display kind of truck than it is an actual racing vehicle as far as I'm concerned. He gets down the track just fine, but by this point, Hartley is into the corner before him. He's out of the corner before him. Sky's going to go on and win this race with a pretty good launch at the finish line, and that's your first chance to look at that finish line jump. And he doesn't hit the throttle all that hard, but, boy, it launches that truck nose high in the air. It certainly does, and Sky kind of, you know, hits it, I'm going to say, less than half throttle and still easily clears the cars. Slifko doesn't make it across the cars on TV. He does cross after, but uh, the Sting truck, you know, it, he gets a little out of shape here going down toward the turn, wipes out a pole and a, and a few other tough blocks and stuff, but no penalty because those are part of the other race courses. He, he kind of stays on the monster truck track there. Yeah, it looks and, like he uh, had a finish line pole is what he got there before he got to the turn. Yeah, and those big plastic poles, you know, they used for so many years, and I kind of miss having those on the track too, like I was saying earlier. They just – it gives you more stuff to drive around, more stuff to hit and put on a show for the fans. We cut to Dan Moriarty here, and uh, he says, basically, well, Sky, welcome to the show. How was the turn down there? And Sky exclaims, the first time in the truck, first time he steered the truck like that, just a little bit. Things are going to get better for the next round, he thinks. Uh, they're going to go do some shock adjustments before the next round. He hopes to make it all the way to the finals. Uh, not a bad first run for Sky here, but i got to tell you, he's got a lot of work to do if he's going to want to contend with some of those guys in that full-on field of favorites that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. And speaking of guys that should be in the favorites list, NWO getting ready to come out here with Predator. Uh, Alan Pizzo should have probably been on that full-on field of favorites list as one of those guys that has always been around and always going to make it a little deeper into the bracket than a lot of people think. But in the other lane, though, he's got Rob Nell, who's having a pretty good season, even though he's not credited behind the wheel of NWO. Yeah, the nameless driver on the title card. Truck name, NWO, no photo available, name, none given. Hometown's Atlanta, Georgia, uh, vehicle, no info available, and the engine is none of your business. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I got to say, I wonder if Hulk Hogan wrote that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is one of the cooler segments, though, that we're going to get in Monster, Tr uh, Monster Jam this season, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. And that, of course, involves the spokesman, who is Chad Fortune. We'll get to that in just a second. This race right here is a pretty good race. Alan Pizzo's 1998 Kitty, as they call it, is in the left lane, and Cousin Rob Nell is over in the right. And I tell you, Predator has one side of the truck that looks fantastic. The other side, not so much. Looks like he may have caught the the bedside on a sky wheelie here at one of these shows. Uh, one side is that awesome-looking purple airbrushed Predator paint scheme. That was always my favorite. The other side is the classic black bedside that we would normally see on Predator. 
He gets down the track very well. Predator is in the lead down the straightaway. Predator's in the lead in the corner. He swings a little bit wide here. Ends up taking the win by about a truck length over Rob Nell, who, honestly, Rob not Rob didn't have a bad run either. The truck just looks very stiff on this track. Yeah, both trucks are having a little bit of trouble in this run. And to go back to Predator here, that's where you and I are going to differ. I hated that purple look. I love the all-black cat, cat on the Predator. Uh, purple's got no place on monster trucks. Digger looks better with no purple. Samson looks better with no purple. Get the purple off these trucks. I'm going to take a wild guess and say your favorite color is not purple. Not purple on a monster truck anyway. It doesn't work. <laughs> you can make it work. The bad habit looks great. As long as it's not the primary color, I'm, I'm okay with it. But, uh, you know, the the trucks kind of had a decent start. They came through the turn together. And this is where we're going to get into some of these lane situations because they both go wide. And mm-hmm. they kind of miss that roller before the cars. Uh, Pizzo is able to, to recover quicker. And th- I think that's the difference here. Yeah, I, I'm agree, I'll agree with you. I think that is the difference. That corner, like they said, most important part of the track tonight. Uh, like I said, NWO looks very stiff out there on the, tr- the track. The truck, it doesn't really look like it doesn't look like it's landing very well. While Predator swings wide in the corner, Pizzo, I mean, he gets through the track, but it's not a perfect pass. We'll put it that way. So far, we haven't seen anybody have a really good pass out here on this track. At the end of the race, though, is the most entertaining thing on this show, as far as I'm concerned, other than our final round. And that is Chad Fortune kicking the crap out of the right front tire on NWO. But he's not happy here. You gotta be kidding me! What do you want? I gotta know. Round one, you're done. You gotta be kidding me. We have been cheated. Somebody has been messing around with our equipment. We never go out in the first round. We never go in the first round. Do you have something to do with this? Uh, no, I have a microphone. You have something to do with this? I would. This, I we would. have been cheated. We never go out of this. Our equipment is the best. Right. Our equipment is the best in the, in, in okay. the Monster Jam. All right, New World, you're out of the first round. What do you do with the rest of your night? I don't have time to talk to you. I need an official now. Go get me an official. I need to get an official. Is out to, to get the NWO. No, we're not. You're official. You have to. No, be. we're not. This is a fair race here. I can't help it if you guys aren't performing to our standards. Now just go ahead and go behind the truck. Go find your driver. Go mix it up I'm a little bit. Go, but he distracts me and my driver who gives the opportunity for everybody else to mess with our truck. Now I'm sick of all this. Now the NWO put in its place. Uh, he has a really good segment here. I love what he says. You got to be kidding me. Walks up to Dan is Dan Moriarty. It's I got to know round one. You're done. Is we have been cheated. Somebody's been messing with our equipment. We never go out in first one. Did you have something to do with this? Blaming Dan Moore. You almost grabbing him by the collar and Dan just calmly, uh, no, I have a microphone. No, I have a microphone. It's the best. <laughs> it's hilarious. And, you know, I, I, as a kid and even probably still today, as much as I love the entertainment value of this whole segment here, it, it, it it pulls away from the legitimacy of the event a little bit, which not to say that the events were completely legitimate at that point anyway, but you know, they had to have a role for Chad because they hired him as a driver. And mm-hmm. then this Brett, the Hitman heart truck isn't done yet. And I guess he didn't fit into it anyway when it was done. So, you know, they, they had a place for him and they kind of made him the spokesman for NWO looking back on it today. It's hilarious. And I love it. And you can see his pro wrestling, you know, background coming Perfect out casting he, for this. 
he cuts an amazing promo on, on Moriarty every time he gets the chance, and I love him for it. And uh, I think it was on Cheech's podcast they had them on, and we're talking about that Hitman truck. I'm going to have to go listen yep. to that because I haven't yet. So uh, I'm missing a few details there in that story, but I'm, I'm hoping to get caught up on that here at some point. And, you know, the, the interview itself, when they would kind of stage these interviews with, with Chad, uh, their, their comedy and entertainment gold every time. And, it, you know, if you're an adult seeing this and, and seeing what it is for what it is, it's great entertainment. I'm probably going to play a little bit of this clip here from this interview because it's it's hilarious. I love it. I especially love when they come back from commercial. Everybody's out to get the NWO. No, we're not, says Mike McFarlane, our competition director. It's a fair race here. I just can't help it that you guys aren't performing to our standards. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, Mike, statement. Mike not only was competition director, but he was involved in the TV production from what I understand, too. So he liked to get on the camera, of course, a lot and explain things to the fans and then you know, kind of be the face of the sanctioning body in these types of situations. So kind of playing a dual role there. And I found it interesting that, that Mike liked to get in there and kind of mix it up with some of the talent. Oh yeah. And one thing I will point out, we talked about Chad fortune having a pro wrestling career before hopping over to monster jam uh, and WWF. He was a part of techno team 2000. You could look that up. I forget exactly what tag team he was a part of in WCW, but I do remember one WCW stat for Chad fortune before Goldberg goes on this really long streak that he went on. I think it was like 175 and Oh, in a dark match, Chad fortune defeated Goldberg. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the few that can say he did at that time. And he time. did it before the streak, so I know it's all, I know pro wrestling and predetermined outcome, whatever. But there's your stat for the week, ladies and gentlemen. Chad Fortune owns a victory over Bill Goldberg. Yeah, and we covered it a couple weeks ago here on the Retro Monster Truck Review, but Chad Fortune, the WCW tag team, was the pit crew. Pit crew, yes, sorry. I couldn't think of the name off the top of my head there. Uh, I also love her at the right at the end. He's pointing to Dan Moriarty. He distracts me. It gives everybody else the opportunity <laughs> to go and mess with our truck. I'm sick of this as he runs off. I just I love that segment. It's awesome. And then we get a segment after that, the Florida rivalry between Scott Hartsock and Jim Jack. Uh, Jim says, hey, we're good friends, better enemies kind of thing. Scott says, Jim's great, but he wears that Chevy bow tie. And us four guys, that just don't cut it. And Scott is a true four guy running a Ford engine. So, you know, he, he bleeds the blue, even though the truck's red, he's, uh, he's got the blue blood through and through. I love Scott's ending statement here, by the way. He says, you better hope the sunshine stays up and it don't rain on his parade. As we cut into Gunslinger and Thrasher up next year, ironically, Ford and Toyota Thrasher's a Toyota right here. And it's one of the beautiful, most beautiful trucks on this particular track at the time. I love this old school Thrasher look, but it is grossly outpowered here by Hartsock and Gunslinger. Yeah. Pat Suma's got the Toyota deal through Toyota of Wallingford, Connecticut. And to back up just a second to the Eradicator race, he's flying a Dodge flag on the back of his truck. I'm thinking mm -hmm. he probably secured himself a local dealer sponsor of some kind for this event as well. So we're seeing more and more of these like little sponsors coming in as, as Monster Jam's getting more popular. And it's a good thing to see. And, and Pat definitely carved out a cool niche for himself running the Toyota. I think he was running a T100 for a while. Now he's got the new Tundra body on the truck it looks good and uh he's still running the coilover truck at this point i think with the front engine he'd build a rear engine truck i think the following year but uh he comes through here 
I'm going to say it's not an awful run from Pat. It's just that he's up against probably the best run in the first round at this point, Scott Hartsock. Yeah, Hartsock has a blistering pass here. And ironically, he says he babied it. The first part of this track, Scott Hartsock is easily the fastest guy through there. He gets around the corner, takes that corner a complete 180 degrees, hits the little jump with both front tires as well, which is something we don't see a lot of these trucks do after that corner. He is dead on straight to those cars. He doesn't launch it over those cars, and that's something that he does not do the entire night. He does not sky that last jump like everybody else does. But here in this round, it's enough to get the win. And, I mean, he just flat lays it to Suma here. Suma, like you said, doesn't have a bad run for the truck, but Scott says he's babying this thing, but, man, it sure doesn't look like it. You know, he's brought in probably 85 90%, I'd say, here right off the bat. And the thing I was saw as scott's kind of calling car is he'd kind of land and then he'd rip the throttle after that set of cars and kind of pull the front end up a little bit i'm not sure if that was to kind of help him square himself up to shut down easier but that's something that scott always did and i always thought it was pretty cool that he'd kind of land and then rip the throttle dan patrick would do it on occasion too Mm -hmm. uh, kind of pull a little bit of wheelie there after the finish line and that's when you knew the big gun from oldsmar was running hard Scott says in his interview right after this, though, the biggest thing about tonight is surviving the Rams. They are devastating. And he is literally a prophet going into this next round when we've got Reptoid and Nitro. This is probably the most destructive race of this entire evening right here. As Cliff Thomas is in the wheel behind the wheel of the Nitro machine. He's a former crewman for Gravedigger, according to Mike. They take off down the straightaway. Reptoid has the lead down the straightaway by about a truck length. He murders the digger sign going into the corner. That's where that clip from the uh, full-on field of favorites came from. It kind of gets hung up under the truck, and I'm not sure if that might have caused Reptoid to push a little bit because as soon as he hits that, he goes into that corner. The truck just doesn't seem to want to make the rest of the corner, and that allows Cliff Thomas to catch up here, and that might have been the worst thing for Cliff because when he catches up to Reptoid, he does not know, number one, Reptoid's having trouble in the corner, and number two, Reptoid's already hit a turning pole at this point. Thomas sees that he is right there with Jim Jack and he floors it into that last jump. And man, I got to tell you, that's one of the worst wrecks that you're going to see in TNM motor madness. When he hits that jump, the truck nose is over all four tires stop in the air and he just dead falls straight onto the nose rips the uh, right front tire. I believe right off the truck. It's a bad crash for sure. And you kind of see there's a flash fire underneath as well. Not sure if it's oil or transmission fluid, but Cliff gets out pretty quick, and and thankfully so. I mean, that was a horrible, horrible shot. You kind of see the truck in midair. The tires lock up, which indicates that Cliff had hit the brakes. And you'd wonder, you know, Cliff has been around this for long enough, you know, not to hit the brakes in the air. But we then go to a later replay while Dan's talking to Cliff, and you see why. Uh, As Cliff hits the last ramp with the cars, the steering wheel comes off in his hands, and he's got nothing to hold on to, nothing to brace himself with. So he kind of reaches against the roll bar and probably pushing that brake pedal with his leg as well, trying to brace himself for impact. What else can you do in that situation? I mean, a horrible, horrible hit. Thankfully, Cliff was okay. Uh, he's one of the nicest guys ever. If you're ever at the dungeon, you get an opportunity to talk to him. He helps out with the extreme Kingsling ride truck as well with the operations of that running the RII and, uh, just a super, super good dude. Cliff Thomas is again, if you ever have a chance to meet him and talk to him, he's one of the great ones in the sport an unsung hero for sure. I agree 100% with you right there. Uh, that particular onboard shot that you're thinking of though. That is just scary to look at. 
you can see as he's coming up to the jump is right where they pick it up. And as soon as he hits that jump, that's when the wheel starts to come off. You can see him for a split second try and thrust that wheel back on. It doesn't work. And by that point, he's just like, well, screw this. <laughs> Let's go of the wheel and grabs a hold of something. And like you said, just slams on the brakes. And that's when the truck rolls over. Of course, this is old Gravedigger number three right here. And by the end of it, you probably can't even recognize the truck. It is a hard rollover. And we are certainly glad Cliff is okay right here. Cliff says he was scrambling to try to get the steering wheel back on. And before he knew it, he was in for the ride. And what a ride it went on right there. And they even say right afterwards, Scott Hartsock is a prophet for what he had just said. He's a prophet because we'll later find out that that interview that Scott gave was actually after this crash. They ran these races out of order on the TV broadcast. But, uh, you know, post-production, you make the story sound good. Exactly. Post-production makes any, any story sound good. It fixes it all. So, you know, a horrible crash by Cliff here, a testament to – to Dennis Anderson and Gary Porter when they built that truck back in 1990, building it as strong as they did to take that kind of an impact. Uh, they would have the truck back together pretty quick. You know, it would run out the rest of the season and a, a number of more years with the company. So a good piece with Gravedigger number three, the Nitro Machine truck here. A horrible, horrible amount of damage. But I have to ask you, Josh, in terms of how we judge things today you know if you do a backflip if you kind of land on the front wheels they still count it is this the first monster truck front flip <laughs> i don't know about that it wasn't clean <laughs> it certainly was not clean it wasn't clean um, but he landed from the front frame a whole rotation and landed on the back tires i'm just gonna throw it out there for a discussion amongst the viewers and the listeners yeah i don't know i don't know about that but i i actually I, when i when we talk about this there's one thing we didn't catch in the other lane and i i wrote this in my notes as how i watched it when i watched this show live in the year 2000 and that was, I didn't notice anything that happened to Reptoid. I, my eyes were glued in the far lane. It wasn't until afterwards that we catch the Reptoid interview with Jim Jack, and he has damage like you wouldn't believe. He popped the eyeball out of the side of the truck. He did some dental damage. He broke a rear shock, and he bent both sway bars on the truck with a hard landing over the finish line. Both trucks in that pass completely incapacitated for the rest of the night. A big time destruction for sure. We see Jim, he's still got the toothpick treatment coming up to the set of cars from that A-frame. And mm -hmm. uh, I bet she wish he had the toothpick afterwards because the teeth get wiped out. The eyeball gets wiped out. Like you said, sway bar issues. I think he blew a shock out. Jim's not uh, doing too good equipment wise. He says he's fine, but the truck's a little worse for wear. And, you know, uh, every time that that Reptoid body gets damaged, boy, it's a heartbreaker. Oh, I agree with you. We go from that hardcore race that we just saw right there to a jargon jam segment about power sliding basically the monster truck term for drifting going around a corner and out of this whole segment charlie pawkins explanation is the absolute best he says you want to fly into the corner hit the brakes a little bit get the ass in to slide around and then get back on the power and straighten out perfect description <laughs> of a power slide yeah, I like Alan Pizzo's uh, description as well. Kind of the most accurate of all the drivers they talk to in terms of, you know, doing it as a full power turn and trying not to lose any speed. Uh, you know, it's an interesting little segment. The jargon jam was uh, sometimes a little confusing, depending sometimes on it was, who they talked Sometimes to. it was a hit like here and sometimes it was a complete miss. Well, sometimes the drivers had no idea what they were even asking them about, too. So it was always interesting to see, you know, what they thought. You know, they were trying to get out of them. And, uh, you know, this time it worked out pretty good. Everybody kind of had a consensus of what a power slide was. But some of the other stuff, boy, it makes you wonder what them guys were thinking. 
Next race up here, Prowler and Gravedigger. Prowler's in the far left lane with Digger number seven here in the near right lane. Bad luck's going to continue here for Digger seven. And I'm not sure if you noticed the same thing that I noticed here, Matt, but when they show this race, after the double jump on Digger number seven, the front tires on this truck just want to just shoot to the right. There was something wrong with that truck right from that point. As soon as it landed, that thing did not appear to run anywhere near as good the rest of the evening. Yeah, I noticed that as well as he comes off the line. I'm 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 going to say that there's a chance that Charlie might have started in second gear because the truck doesn't launch hard, but it still pulls the front wheels up a little bit mm-hmm. over this uh, first roller and then over the double. And then when he lands, you kind of see the front tires are a little rat, you know, have a rattle to them coming down so i'm not sure if they had an orbital valve issue or something else in the steering system that was acting up i mean he goes into the corner okay it seems like it's responsive but it's certainly still a handful as we come toward the cars oh yeah both trucks are having a handful here coming towards the cards both trucks end up with a penalty digger the most obvious penalty though is it misses the last set of cars with the right front tire but I got to tell you, that truck going back to the pits, they're shining the light on it and everything. You see the uh, the spotlight flashing on Gravedigger as the winner. However, it's leaning over really bad onto the right side. It's definitely tweaked the sway bars a little bit, but I think it's leaning more towards the right front than it is the right rear. Not sure the whole issue that's going on right here, but this truck just seemed, in the year 2000, is probably the worst luck that Gravedigger ever had. Yeah, and 21 years later, I'm still trying to find the penalty on Prowler here. It was a perfectly clean run. I think uh, they took a little creative license in calling Digger the winner. Uh, They probably just let it go, you know, in the live show, and then Scott had to fabricate some kind of reason, you know, as to why Digger was allowed to keep going, despite the fact that he missed both front tires uh, hitting that second set of cars. Well, but. Again, with uh, with that penalty that they don't call on Gravedigger, they may have called it on the broadcast. They might not have caught it actually live there at the show. That was It was honestly kind of close. Until you see that head-on replay, you don't really see the penalty. Yeah, it's a little tough to tell there. I mean, like I said, at this point, Gravedigger's the star as well. And I'm I'm going to guess, and this is just a guess, that you know Digger's across the line first. They're probably going to let him go. I mean, we saw how many poles get knocked down in 1999 that weren't called when Dennis would knock a turning pole down that should have been a DQ. Uh, uh, we we Digger would... fans don't like to talk about that. Well, I'm a Digger <laughs> fan as well, but I try to be a realist at the same time. So, you know, the, the, the deck may have been stacked a little bit during these years against some of the other guys, but uh, things are certainly a lot more fair now. Wild Thing and Goldberg is up next here. Tony Farrell in the right lane closest to us. Mintz is over in the far left lane. You you just barely hear this at the start of this race, but there's a little blip of the throttle in Wild Thing before the light goes green. He almost red lights right there. Mintz, though, has probably the most memorable run of round number one. Probably not the fastest, but the air that Tom Mintz gets at the finish line is just incredible. He gets the early lead. He gets into the corner. Both trucks are pretty even here, but as soon as Tom hits the throttle out of that corner, it's like watching Goldberg in the wrestling ring when he's running towards somebody and to do a spear. As soon as he hits the throttle, that truck is gone. Hits that final jump, just flat launches Goldberg. The rear of the truck kicks up into the air when he lands right there. It's just a hard landing for Mintz, uh, putting on Bill Mintz horsepower, as he calls it, across the finish line right there. One of, one of the biggest launches of the season right there for Tom, and it's going to get better throughout the night. 
Yeah, and the truck gets really crossed up in the air. And I just, when they go to the slow-mo shot of that kind of a jump where Tom does, it just looks so beautiful flying through the air. I love the shot. I love the big air. And you would wonder why would Tom go so hard with such a big lead after, you know, seeing what these guys are doing. But in reality, this was the first race that was run. So the guys didn't know what the ramps were like at this point. And Tom was kind of the guinea pig in this case, almost sending it out of the stadium. Oh, yeah. He's like I said, he launches it right here. And those style of jumps, I always call them the mince jump. And he still gets them every now and now and then with the current truck that he has, where it seems like the right the, the rear of the truck wants to launch to the right or the left, completely opposite of the front tires. And it's just a magnificent sight to behold when he brings one of those down. It is just so cool to see. And here you get to see one of the first ones that he really ever did right here in Orlando. And he, I got to tell you, if there had not been as much shutdown room as there was, we'd have been a little scared at the end of the track. He took the escape route for sure. You know, the Citrus Bowl was kind of unique in that it had that kind of dirt pad that kind of took you out to the hot pits that was kind of still in the stadium, but not because the one end was open. So uh, it's very interesting to see how much space he had to use. And we'll see by the end of the night, he's going to be pushing the, the boundary limits of the stadium again. Before we get to Tom's interview, I want to point something out here. The truck lands with the right right side really hard on the rear. Then it bounces to the left. Then it kind of bounces to the right again. Do you think that that's why they picked the song Dope Ride for him? Because, you know, there's that lyric, right, left. <laughs> I don't know what you're I, talking about. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was funny. All right. I got to throw um, that out. There. I just, thought it was funny. <laughs> I'm just uh, ignorant behind the times old time monster truck guy. I don't know about any of that newfangled music. <laughs> Tom says he thinks he probably should have walked the track a little bit more. He says it's very hard to see in that corner. He also says there's a serious problem with the power steering pump. As soon as he says that, we get a close-up. We actually see that it's being held on with some heavy-duty straps to hold that truck on there. So Goldberg, as Tom puts later on the night, he says it's vulnerable, and you never hear Tom Minch use that word. Yeah, it's amazing the thing's holding together. You know, having Ratchet strap the, uh, the power steering pump onto the engine, ugh. I can't imagine that he'd be wanting to push it as hard as he is, but he doesn't seem to want to let up. Not at all. As we move into round number two here, we'll get Predator and Gravedigger, Sting and Gunslinger. Wild Thing's going to come back as a fast loser against Goldberg. And those are your three matchups for round number two. Wild Thing's going to come back because Reptoid was broken in the previous round. As we mentioned, a lot of damage to Reptoid. And honestly, I think it's probably a wise idea for Jim Jack to stay back there after that. Yeah, I'm not sure if he could have got that shock fixed anyway. So, you know, we're kind of having to shuffle things around a little bit. We'll get ready for round two. And Dan says that, hey, this track was made for the best drivers in the world, and they're going to have to keep their stuff together. Oh, yeah. We get a special effects segment right here, by the way, that's all about Reptoid, speaking of the truck. Uh, talking about the lights and the smoke effects that are on the front of Reptoids. The eyes light up, and he basically uses a CO2 fire extinguisher for the smoke that shoots out. I actually love the segment. It gives you a little bit more, and you can kind of get to know the truck. Even though you're not going to see it again for the rest of the night, you're still getting one last glimpse of Reptoid before we go into round number two racing. Yeah, you know, the, the smoke effect, there's a bunch of different ways that people have done it, but it seems like that CO2 fire extinguisher kind of ended up being the standard. I think Tom used some air cannons with flour on them at one point, and, you know, they were using some other stuff, but uh, the CO2 uh, setup's definitely the preferred method uh when it all came down to it now probably in round number two here we get the the weirdest race and that's predator and gravedigger 
Pizzo far lane, Diggers in the right lane closest to us. And honestly, number seven just sounds sick right here. Pawkin does not get off the line. He's very slow down the straightaway. Pizzo on the other side, though, he's flooring it down the straightaway. He's got it going on in there. But when he gets to the corner, he completely misses it. It actually gives Pawkin a chance to kind of come back a little bit on him after being put down by maybe a truck and a half going into the corner. Pizzo actually takes the corner so wide, he's lined up for the freestyle motocross hill in the center of the track. He has to straighten the truck out, straighten it to the cars. He's first over the cars by probably, at, at this point, I want to say a truck and a half. Digger's just never in this race. No, and you can just see the issues with Digger right off the line here. And I'm guessing he dropped something in the drive line somewhere because as he comes out of the last turn, he's trying to charge and make up time, but the truck won't go into high gear. The revs go through the roof, and we would see it later in the freestyle show uh, the next week here that, that – the truck's stuck in low gear. It can't really get much going. So Pizzo really, really lucks out here that, that Charlie was having such a tough time over there in the other lane because he'd have been knocked out. Oh, yeah, he would have been knocked out pretty quickly. Uh, I got to tell you, Pizzo, like I said, he got lucky. How do you miss a corner that bad? Easily. How many jumps are on this track? Yeah, he That said, left uh, lane, it seems like they are having in trouble that entire night with being able to see going into that corner. Where the right lane, they can see perfectly fine. Yeah, and, and Scott's saying, you know, the drivers are having trouble finding the lanes coming out of the turn. Allen basically just chalks up and says, hey, I won on pure luck. He also says that he hit the rear steering switch the wrong way in the middle of the corner. So that probably explains why he went so wide right there at the end of it. But he does get straightened out. Like I said, he does go into the next round, but he's obviously not looking very good in the eyes of the competitors after that one. <laughs> if you're steering the wrong way, he'll get you every time. Exactly. Gunslinger and Sting is up next, and Hartsock probably has the fast, had probably the fastest pass of round number one, and he isn't slowing up here at all. An amazing corner by Scott puts him into a round two victory over Sting. Hartley didn't have a bad run. Scott just flat beats him right here. Yeah, I mean, Sky has an okay shot. I'd say better than his round one race, but Gunslinger probably going to put down, you know, one of the lower ETs of the night so far. He has a sizable lead by the time they get to that second jump and just kind of maintains it then beyond that. So smooth run overall so far tonight. That's what matters. Yep, and I got to tell you, Scott is the king of smooth, and that is exactly what he's done so far. Every single pass he's made so far this evening has looked just exactly the same, and that's exactly what you need to do. It's a lot of, a thing that I heard in oval track racing for a number of years is we're more afraid of the guy that can cut consistent lap times than we are of a guy that can hot lap it, and Scott Hartsock has shown you exactly why that that is the case. For sure, and you know Scott's saying basically he'd be happy to make it to the finals. It almost sounds like he's kind of giving it up to Goldberg already here in his interview. Yeah, he kind of sounds that way. I, I, he almost sounds a little tired, too. Seems like he's chasing something on this truck the entire night. He does say later on that he, he kind of feels vulnerable himself as well. Uh, he definitely says they're wounded a couple of times, but we never exactly specifically hear what's going on with Gunslinger and racing, but the truck, it's, he just looks fast. He does look fast. He's looking fast. He's looking smooth. Like I said, one of the low ETs of the night so far. I clocked him in at a 13.3. We'll have to keep an eye on some of these other runs and see how they match up. Goldberg and Wild Thing coming out here next. Farrell says they lost high gear in the previous pass against Tom, but he's still looking forward to the second chance to take him on. This time, Wild Thing doesn't get off the line as well as it did before. They go into the corner. They both swing wide enough. They almost touch rear tires as Tom, again, comes out of that corner like uh, Goldberg running at somebody to do a spear. Launches it, 
the truck jumped. And this is the funny thing to me about this truck. This truck was always incredibly weird landing. He launches completely straight in the air, comes down on the rear end. You would expect the truck to bounce and maybe continue to bounce straight. No, it bounces all the way over on the left side sidewalls for a second before it comes back down on all fours. Yeah, he landed just, I'm going to say, like, barely the right side first. And that gives you just a huge rebound to the left side. You know, watching this jump in live time here, he he's maybe, you know, five degrees off to the right. You'd think that that would, a nitrogen truck would soak that up no problem. Tom's still running the coilovers at this point, gets the big rebound. And uh, the big difference here, again, is that big run to the finish. And Tom doesn't really put the truck on kill over the jump this time. You know, you could tell he kind of let off a little bit. But he looked still a lot like Hartsock did, honestly, when he hit that last jump. Yeah, but still huge air, um, you know, popping into my head. You know, if you had one of those old barefoot trucks with the front-facing four-length that could kind of soak up that launch ramp, that might have been the hot setup on this track. Yeah, I tend to agree with you right there. That front four-length setup really soaked up jumps, and that would have been one of those jumps that it could have soaked up pretty easily this truck though does not soak it up at all he launches a little bit nose high and maybe like you said a little maybe five degrees off to the right side but still just completely shoots him to the left sidewalls that is a hard impact but tom mens ever the showman climbs out up on top of the roof and waves to the crowd just like he would always do <laughs> yeah and as a kid you know after a big win like that i'm thinking he's bragging yeah, you know, because I've got the preconceived notion that he's the bad guy. So, oh, he's getting look at him bragging and and showing off to everybody. But, you know, Tom definitely putting on a show for the fans every time he goes out. Tom says it may not look like it on camera, but it's a wild ride out there. Oh, trust us, Tom. It's a wild ride on camera, oh, too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Tom says uh, Tom also says, like I said earlier, words you would never really hear him say. And that's we're vulnerable. Uh, they tweak the power steering a little bit on that pass. Still holding together, though, as we go into the semifinals. And our semifinals are Predator and Gunslinger. And Sting is the fast loser coming back to take on Goldberg. Yeah, you know, Predator gets the lucky break in. Gunslinger looking smooth all night. And uh, Sting kind of getting the reprieve. But he's got to go up against Tom Metz. Not quite the draw you'd want to get. But at least you're back in the show. Yeah, exactly. Dan Moriarty says that Sting got involved in this business to take out Goldberg. Honestly, I think it was because WCW wanted another truck out there. That's just my opinion on it, and I think it's the correct opinion. But anyway, I like the the building of the story here. Uh, if you're following WCW up to this point, Sting and Goldberg have had a singles match together, and it wasn't the best one that you'd ever see on a WCW Nitro, but I do remember Sting having the upper hand for quite a bit of it before some interference and eventually a Goldberg win. Yeah, I never was much of a WCW fan. It was kind of before I got into wrestling. So I'm going to have to rely on you for those stats, my friend. <laughs> it's uh, uh, other than watching the old Monday Night War documentaries, I don't know much about their matchups. But uh, two of the big guys in that promotion for sure. And, you know, kind of always the dream matchup, I would assume. But we're going to at least get it on the monster truck side. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get it on the monster truck side here. For those that don't know, before Goldberg come along, before Hogan came along, and WCW, Sting was the man. And me as a kid, there were two guys that I really liked, and that was Hogan and Sting. So when Sting comes out with a monster truck and Penda, I'm excited. Because I'm going to get to see him not only compete in the wrestling ring, but they're going to compete on the racetrack as well in my motorsport. Now we're getting Sting and Goldberg here, and you ain't going to find no bigger of a Sting fan in the semifinals than me, because I never was a Goldberg fan. Yeah, you know, especially you love the uh, that original scheme with the surfer sting. 
uh, no less, uh, before yeah. I'm going to call him the knockoff Undertaker Sting, uh, which is all how I always kind of viewed him growing up because, you know, you got the guy in the long coat and the, myst- the mystery and kind of shows up out of nowhere. I think uh, Bischoff just kind of wanted his own Undertaker, but that's just my opinion. You know, actually, there's a funny story with that. I'm going to get sidetracked off of Monster Trucks for just a second, and that's Sting. Scott Hall actually came up with that idea. He told Sting to go watch The Crow. So Sting goes and watches the crow, and he says, "I'm not telling you to rip off Taker, but rip off Taker." <laughs> so that's <laughs> kind of how that story started there with the crow Sting. Uh, we go back into racing though, right here, Predator and Gunslinger, two of the biggest independents out there on the floor, and of course that's what they say. Hey, these guys both they independently own these trucks. The race between these guys is even down the first straightaway. I want to say Predator might have a slight edge going into the corner. But Pizzo does what he's done all night long. He actually hits the corner this time really well. He comes out of the corner, but the rear kind of slides out on him, and that is all that Scott Hartsock needs to push his ticket in the final. Yeah, I mean, uh, Scott just punches in another picture-perfect run, pushing the ET down just a little bit. I'm showing a 12.75. That about matches what Goldberg ran in the last round. And uh, the difference here, as you said, Pizzo sliding the rear end out just doesn't quite get lined up perfect. And, man... The gunslinger going into the finals and, you know, he's kind of already the the best of the rest, we'll call him, you know, for of the field, because mm-hmm. Scott took two TV wins in 1999. He wins in San Antonio. He wins in Indianapolis. So he's definitely one of the top guys. Uh, the story was always focused on, you know, Goldberg and Gravedigger, but Scott was always right there as the true competitor ready to if either of them guys ever slipped up, boy, he's going to be there and he's going to take the win away from you. Yep, and uh, Dan Moriarty has an interview right here. He says, one one race away from not just winning, but winning at home. And in this interview, Hartsock does, he sounds, I don't know, he just, he doesn't necessarily sound down on himself. He just sounds tired. I think they've been chasing this truck the entire night right here. Scott says, winning at home will be great. These Orlando fans have been cocked, locked, and ready to rock right along with with me. The Mega Power Ford Gunslinger is wounded, but I have to be optimistic and say, we're in the finals. And it's going to go, and that goes a long way by itself. Like I said, just listening to this, he sounds tired, but he sounds ready to go into the finals. He, he's having some gremlin issues himself here, just like just about everybody on this night. Yeah, I sure wish that we knew, you know, what the trouble he was having with the truck. It would have probably perpetuated the storyline a little bit better. We know that Goldberg has issues with the power steering pump, and they could have played that up a little bit better, I thought, but they just must have never caught it on camera as to what the issue was. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We move into the next race here. That's Sting and Predator. Sting is in the far lane. Goldberg right back here in the near lane with us. Interesting to note here, Mince is in the same lane that Hartsock's been in the entire night. So I'm just curious, do you happen to have the times of the semifinals that we could talk about right after we talk about this race? I, I timed them out myself, and there's there's quite a difference here. So uh, okay. I'm not sure how they determined lane choice. I don't know if they were running ETs or or how they did it since they didn't qualify. But, you know, there's there's definitely a difference here. Scott put in a nice smooth run, but Tom puts in the run of the night so far. Yeah, Mintz has a whole shot. He nails the corner, and he looks like he's shot out of a cannon on the exit here against Sting. And, uh, of course, once he comes off the turn, nobody closes like Tom Mintz. And they definitely got that one right. A fantastic pass from Tom here, and probably his best run the entire night. Still looked like it appeared to be, to me, Visually, it looked like it was a little slower than Hartsock, but you're telling me that's completely wrong. 
Hartsock, I clocked in at a 1275, and Goldberg, I clocked in at an 1195. So oh, wow. nearly a, yeah, second a second faster. The difference, I think, is going into and coming out of the turns. Tom just carried a lot more speed. And we come to later find out that Tom still didn't hit full throttle on this run as far as he shot and ends up, you know, basically couldn't get over to that little runoff patch to go into the into the pitch so he kind of just has to slow it down in the green there uh gets it slowed down without sliding i i don't think anybody gave tom enough credit for how he got that truck slowed down stopped without completely locking up the tires and tearing up the facility oh i agree that that was always one thing i could never figure out is how does he get this truck stopped not just stopped but stopped to the point that he doesn't hit anything because as fast as he's going, you got to think, uh, 100 yards back there, he is wide open. Oh, for sure. And, you know, Tom basically says, hey, Gunslinger is next. And he says, if we can hold it together, we'll be there at the, at yeah. the finish line. Yeah, we can hold it together. That Bill Men's horsepower bringing it down. It's a wild ride. I'm telling you, he's a little choked up. But he says, hey, Gunslinger is next. And we go to the final round here. And like... Like I said at the beginning of this show, this is one of the better finals of 2000 right here. It's definitely one that had an unexpected result. Uh, when Tom pulls up to the line, somebody that the, somebody that's next to him is next. All I can say is Gunslinger is cocked, locked, and ready to rock, and he might have his hands full tonight in a pre-recorded interview with Scott Hartsock from earlier in the day. It looks like he's uh, he's back. He's sitting in a chair. As he's, t- he's talking about this. Very confident words, though, coming from Scott. It's almost like he's calling a shot before the show. Well, you got to call your shot when you're the gunslinger, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, we're going into the finals here, and this environment had to be cool because we're at a fever pitch here. Goldberg mm-hmm. on a roll, and we've do we finally have somebody that can knock him down? We get the Maalox minute before the finals here, and that, of course, is that incredible rollover from uh, Nitro Machine earlier in the evening. I love the slow-mo that you get right here, and I love the Maalox minute, the little... The tone, the tone of the Maalox Minute always kind of made me chuckle. I always liked it. It was a little bit of a funny tone on a serious accident, but at the same time, I thought it was a cool little segment. Yeah, and I always thought it was interesting because that segment carried over from the old Motor Madness. So I'm guessing that had to have been something that TNN sold as mm-hmm. an ad spot that had to carry into the new contract because they used to do a full minute of highlights on the old TNN Motor Madness, whether it was Demo Derby or, you know, the USA Motorsports Monster Truck Challenge or the Sprint Car Racing. They always had something to fill that time. And then that kind of carried in all the way through, I think, at least through 2000, if not through 2001 as well. So that must have been a multi-year kind of sponsorship they had. It's just those little production things that always kind of interest me uh, as we go through this buyout and the the evolution of the TV show that that kind of stuck around. Yeah, but still, I always liked it. I just, I love the music. It's, just, oh, it's, it's funny, a funny tone to a serious. It's instance. whimsical. Yeah. Uh, we go to the final round, though, right here. Like we said, Gunslinger and Goldberg. This is probably the race of the 2000 season so far. Uh, Goldberg, the left lane. Scott Hartsock now in the right lane. He has been in this lane the entire night. I want to point that out. For some reason, Mintz is now over on the other side of the track. I would love to have known how lane choice was determined here. Did Scott have a higher seed draw than uh, than Tom did here? I mean, it, it's it's weird to me that he would not be in a lane that he seemed to have been making his home after he started over in that le- left lane. Now he's over in the right lane the last two passes. Now he's back over in a lane he hasn't been in since round one. Yeah, all we can do is pontificate and, and guess because, like I said, no qualifying. I don't think their timing runs 
unless it was the event director just pointed him to a lane or maybe you know if tom was cocky enough he said hey pick your own lane kid i'll beat you either way who knows well tom had done that before so you know tom ends up in what i would probably say the lane he wouldn't want to be in because he's in a uh, left-hand drive truck a little harder to see where the turn is but uh you know they go down in and boy Hertzog gets the whole shot right here. I was a little surprised by that. Tom had been drilling people the entire night. Hartsock gets the whole shot. He leads down the straightaway. He leads over the double. They get to the corner. They're together. Scott almost looks like he takes it easy around the corner while Mintz, I don't know know if he pushed it too hard or what, but Hartsock comes out of the corner with about a truck-length lead, and by the time Mintz lays onto the horsepower, Hartsock is hitting that final jump just like he did the entire night, not wide open, not hard, but it's enough to win by about a half a tire length. Meanwhile, in the other lane, that's where all the problems happen. As far as Tom hitting the throttle, man, one of the wildest wrecks we saw on the entire season. And we got two of them on the same night, really. Highlights that we'd see for years here. But Mensa's wreck is one of the most high-speed end-over-end rollovers I think you'll ever see. It's incredible, and what I find interesting is as Scott is kind of almost back down to the ground, Tom is still going up beside him. That just shows you how hard he hit that ramp, and I'm going to go so far as to say it could have been way worse because if you see Tom coming to this finish line jump, he catches one of the little rollers that's off to the side in one of the other lanes, and he kind of almost hits that finish ramp on the fly a little bit with with at least with the left side tires. He mm-hmm. didn't get a complete, you know, full compression shot of the suspension to preload going up into the air. If he would have hit that full bore and been straight on like he was the previous round, he, he wouldn't have gotten that truck stopped within the confines of the stadium. He was going there, way too no way. fast. The, the, I mean, it's not Tom's fault. He's trying to win. But the track designs we would see later, and especially going into the next year, they backed that finish line way up further toward the other end of the stadium because Tom was just moonshotting these races every single week and you know pushing the boundaries of the tracks at the time. Oh, yeah, and the rebound on Goldberg, just to describe the wreck. I'm sure you all have seen it if you're a fan of this show. It's something that has been replayed over and over again for years. Uh, the rebound sends the truck up onto the right front tire, and it just does a pirouette spin endo in the air. Is a very high-speed, very violent flip that that truck takes before it finally comes to rest. And as soon as it, the funniest thing about this wreck, though, is as it comes to rest on all four tires, the left rear just says, I'm done, and falls off the truck after a hard impact that it took. But, man, I got to tell you, we get a lot of replays of this right here. But the biggest thing to take away from this is Scott Hartsock, just took down a guy that had been on a complete roll this entire season. The first one to beat Tom straight up on television. I mean, it's the story of the season at this point, you know, finally somebody knocked off the top truck in the series. And Scott basically says in his, his interview, he had to drive sensibly and he did that all night. He just knocked them out one by one. And then he says, I want to know where that checkered flag is. Exactly. Uh, I like the uh, words from Tom Mintz right here, though. Uh, Dan Moriarty says, if you're going to lose, that's a heck of a way to lose one. He goes, I'm not mixed up down there in the corner. He was out on me. I stood on it. First time I stood on it all night. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> Just needed a little more racetrack to do it. And he's definitely not wrong there. If that would if that finish line would have been about, I don't know, five feet farther, 
immense wins. He had all the momentum coming right there. But as you said, Scott Hartsock, and I'm going to play his uh, victory interview right here, but I want to point out one thing that he sneaks in right here that made me as a wrestling fan chuckle. And he goes, we beat him fair and square, and that's the bottom line. Can it be put into words? Yeah, he's next now. <laughs> when it comes right down there to it, you know, like I told these fans here, you got to come in here. We were wounded the whole night. We had to come in here and drive sensibly. And, um, you know, that's exactly what I did. I was kind of worried about this whole course, but, hey, man, I got these sunshine folks behind me pumping me up, got me all jacked up full of mega power, and uh, I did exactly what I had to do, and that was to come in here and knock these guys out one by one. Goldberg, he's the toughest no matter where he's at, and uh, we beat him fair and square. That's the bottom line. This gunslinger, he's the new sheriff in town, and I'm the man. All I want to know is where's that checkered flag? Scott always had the one liner ready to go and, you know, smooth runs all night. And and to back up about Tom, I, I'm going to believe him and say that that was probably the first time he completely buried the throttle all night. That semifinal run, I'm going to say it looks like he's kind of like 90 percent. I mean, he's getting after it, but he's not. He's not know, round two like, seems like he buried it pretty hard around uh, two. He actually took it pretty easy. I'd say the hardest he ran was probably round one. And because uh, that's where he really got that first big cross up moonshot. And uh, that would be the hardest run prior to the finals. But you could just see the mile an hour he's got going to that ramp. He definitely had to throttle buried at that point. And he just took the big tumble and he would have a little bit of a rough go here in Florida. Crashing out in racing here and in Jacksonville doesn't get the freestyle for the points or for the fans, which I'm sure, you know, bummed out Tom quite a bit because he couldn't go out and put on a show, but he sure got the show taken care of on the racing side. Well, you point the Jacksonville victory out and yes, he does. He go back. He comes back. He wins in Jacksonville racing. The tire comes off again, but still he leaves us with a moment that gets replayed on the broadcast the very next week as well when they go to freestyle and that's him doing a three-wheeled donut with the truck which is something that nobody had done up to that point yeah tom didn't want to give up and you know we we get to wrap up this show here in orlando and you can see that the place is just packed at the rafters still as the as the fans file out scott gets to yank the flag off of the back of the now destroyed goldberg truck and and we go to dan moriarty then after freestyle's done he does his little wrap-up bit to finish up the show yeah but we also get the points that are shown for the night as well and i find i find them interesting uh gunslinger is going to score 400 goldberg at 350 predator at 250 sting at 175 gravedigger at 150 the nitro machine at 100 wild thing 75 nwo reptoid thrasher and prowler all with 50 yeah, I guess they had to have some way to delineate between who finished where in those lineups. You know, if you lost in a round, uh, maybe they were timing people. I don't know, but it's uh, it's an interesting, you know, that they kept points. And that was mainly, I think, so that they could figure out who was going to go to Vegas. They were doing that top six in points would get an automatic buy to Vegas. And then the other six at the time initially were going to be through the wrenchhead.com pick six promotion. Because if you remember, World Finals 1 was only supposed to be 12 trucks. And then it became became such a success through the promotions that they ended up putting 16 in the show. So uh, the commercials for the world finals originally did advertise 12 trucks. And, you know, uh, I think there was even a few guys that probably got an invite that declined. Um, And I'm only saying that because they showed Samson and barefoot and a couple other trucks 
on that commercial that didn't end up being there. So yeah, I know that for Vegas for a while, it was kind of common that some guys would get an invite, but they would, you know, politely decline and, and do another show for us hot rod that weekend. So, you know, it all worked out for everybody, but the points I'm guessing they were keeping track somewhat legitimately to try to figure out who was going to get that invite to Vegas. Our season championship points are, astronomical lead for Goldberg 2,572 Gravedigger in second with 1157 Gunslinger 1050 NWO 811 interesting note Bulldozer with Rob Nell 827 I don't know where they're getting that from because it's the same guy in both of those trucks Uh, Reptoys with 819 Predator at 700 Nitro 625 Avenger 454 and then Wild Thing at 350 uh, the I'm assuming the NWO and the bulldozer thing, they're not combining points there because they don't want the fans to know that Rob Nell's behind the wheel. That's just my right. opinion. Right. And if you put both of them together, he's second, which is yeah, exactly. know, interesting. And, and Rob, as a rookie, is having a stellar year, really, you know, in the truck. And uh, I'd like to probably hear a story sometime as to what the the situation was as to why they ran part of the season with nwo part of the season with bulldozer and they even flopped back and forth a little bit it wasn't even based on when they crashed the truck because you had bulldozer in atlanta nwo in san antonio then bulldozer again in indy rob wrecks the truck then they kind of stick with the nwo scheme for a while for a few weeks through through the beginning of march and then we go back to pontiac and bulldozers back with rob again so it's like Mm -hmm. i'd like to know what the the booking was and and the decision making behind that uh if anybody has that story please put it in the comments somewhere so we can read it if you legitimately know uh, what the situation was there because i always found it interesting that they kind of ran the dual identity on the one truck i think that they kind of put the nwo on it because rob probably didn't like to talk as much was was my guess but i don't know that to be true yeah, I don't know it to be true either. But honestly, Rob Nell was one of the coolest guys out there. And I always enjoyed talking to Rob. Uh, funny story. I'll put this as a side note right here at the end of the show. Quincy, Illinois, I want to say right after Dennis won his world championship in Digger 19. I was there just kind of hanging around in the back. And uh, Phil Foster could not keep a transmission in Max D the entire weekend. They needed to fix it because there was a 2 o'clock show and there was a 7 o'clock show. So the after the autograph, or excuse me, the autograph session for the two o'clock show, right as they're getting ready to run up there, Rob Nell waves me over. I talked to Rob the night before, showed him a bunch of pictures I'd taken, and we got we struck up a conversation. We got to be, end up being pretty good friends by the end of the weekend. But he waves me over and he hands me a Max D Crew shirt. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do with this? Put it on. So I put it on, and he goes, Oh, cool, it fits. Follow me. I don't know what I'm doing at this point. I get halfway walking across the track with all the drivers. I'm like. Rob, what are we doing? We're going to go sign autographs. What? (laughs) (laughs) Long story short, there's probably somebody that was at that Quincy, Illinois show in 2004 that's got Max D. Josh by an autograph because I was supposed to sign Max D. Phil, but I forgot on a few of them to sign my own name. So there you go. Funny story for me to end the show. I just want to go ahead and say before we end the show here that our thoughts, prayers, and I want to offer our condolences as well to the Hartsock family as well as the Creel family for their loss that they suffered this past Thursday. Yeah, both Scott and James, I hope you guys rest in peace. We're thinking about you, and I'm sure that you guys will shine down on us uh, for many years to come. 
Exactly. Couldn't have said that any better myself to wrap up the show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here on this special edition of the Retro Monster Truck Review, and we will see you guys again on the tracks across America.